in a series right now, I think, I think if I'm doing my math right, which isn't very hard, we're in <laughs> number eight of nine of our series. So we have one more week in the series called Everything You Need. And we are in Second Peter chapter one. Just quick little recap. In uh, chapter one, we come across these verses here where, where Peter says, God has everything you could possibly need for your life. For, for your heart, for your soul, for, for godliness, for living this adventure that he's called us to live. He says everything you need is available for you in, in God. And so we've been showing you this graphic, it'll probably appear here on the screen here, where, where God is, is, we've kind of been representing this, this, this uh, motion of God with, with a big wheel. Remember seeing the big wheel? And us as this little tiny gear, and that when we are in him, When he is in me and when we engage him and we know him and start to track along with him in relationship, then his divine power becomes my divine power. His strength, my strength, his character becomes my character. His heart, his motion, all of that becomes who I am when I am engaging with God. And what Peter says here in chapter 1 is that if we will engage with God, then we will become effective and productive. In other words, we won't be idle and ineffective. So that's kind of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. And uh, again, I, I sound like a broker record here and I apologize, but if you have not missed or uh, weren't, weren't able to check out the first two messages in the series, oh man, it is vital. You need to go back, even though we have one more week, you need to go back to iTunes, go to our webpage, whatever it is, and, and grab the first two messages about knowing God and then engaging with him. Because Peter says, if you will do those two things, then you have everything you need for life and godliness. If you would then take the next step and not only know him, engage with him, but then add these seven things to your faith. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the seven things. So let's read them really quick here. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Here are the seven things that Peter says to add to your faith. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and then perseverance, and then godliness, and then, here we go, brotherly kindness. And some of your Bibles might actually say brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this week, we are talking about the sixth thing that he says to add, which is brotherly kindness. Brotherly love. That's the, the next thing that we're going to be adding to our faith. When, when, you, when you hear those words, brotherly kindness, <laughs> just what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Because what comes to my mind is actually growing up and, and with, with siblings, and, and, and I may or, or you may or may not have had brotherly kindness or experienced that or, or whatever. I, I didn't have a brother growing up, but it didn't really matter because my sister was really tough. And uh, so when I hear brotherly kindness, I automatically think of just being pummeled, right? And, 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 and she would probably point that, you know, on me too. And she would argue that that was my deal. But growing up, you know, with your brothers or with your sisters, sometimes it's every man for himself, isn't it? It's like survival mode, right? And so when I think of brotherly kindness, I'm like, are, are you kidding me? It was survival growing up, right? And you strategically think about how you can survive. I remember one of my greatest tactics was uh, when I was arguing with my sister in her room, my mother's office was on the other side of the wall. I would just randomly throw my body up against the wall and go, stop, please, no, and just hit the wall repeatedly again and again. My mother's like, for the love of God, what is going on? She would come in there and immediately bust my sister. It was a fantastic strategy, worked out. Uh, after years of counseling, we're now over it. But 
But, but she would always come over, and what my mom would say is she would say, now, you guys just need to get along, love each other, just love, hug each other, hug, hug, her, hug your sister, right? Or hug your sister and hug, get along because you should love each other. Did you get the same talk growing up? Yeah, that's immediately what I think of when I hear the, 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 the phrase brotherly kindness or sisterly kindness or immediately duck, right? You know, I think of these things. And uh, so that is the thing that Peter says, he said, add those things to your faith. Take brotherly kindness, add it to your faith. And if you do, it will help you in your walk with God, in this adventure that he calls you to, your relationship with him as you engage with him, it will help you be productive and effective in life. So add brotherly kindness. Let's just get the obvious out of the way for a second here. That's really hard. It is really hard. And, and, and I think if we would even admit as adults that, that it, it's really hard sometimes. I, I know we wouldn't pummel brothers and sisters here in the church, but sometimes we feel like it, don't we? No. Oh, come on. You, you guys, if we were really serious with, our, with ourselves and honest, I think sometimes it's hard not to ram people's cars in the parking lot, right? Oh, you were thinking it. I just, I just said what you were thinking, right? I'm just kidding. But it is, it is really hard sometimes when we, when we start to brush up with one another. It's hard because the closer that you and I get in relationship to one another, our rough spots start rubbing off, don't they? We start, it's kind of like porcupines getting together, right? The, the quills. It, we, start to, we start to poke each other in, in, in the rough spots of life. You get to see the good and the bad and the ugly when we do life together. You, you get to see it all. And so sometimes we start grading on one another. And I need to tell you that the number one way that Satan attacks the church is right there. Right there. When you and I start to have a hard time in, in, in the church body of getting along, when we don't start showing kindness because we're too busy picking on each other, fighting with another, or, or squabbling, or whatever it might be. So here's the truth. God knew. Oh, he knew. He knew, he knew that we would struggle with this. He just knew it. You put people in a room, and sooner or later, people start struggling with this. He knew it. He knew that there would be times that, that, that we would need to be strengthened in him, that doing life together is really tough. It's tough to always love each other. It's tough to always be in relationship with each other. It's hard. He knew that. He knew that. And I wish I could stand here as a pastor at K2 and say, I never have a hard time loving people in this church. No one ever ticks me off, and I'd be lying. It's not true, because part of living together, it's hard. It's hard, and God knew that, and he knew this would be a difficult topic for us. So sooner or later, sooner or later, when our frustration starts to rise, and you can feel it rising, and Satan is using it as a wedge between us, when we start slipping in our love for one another, we need to go back to God's word and find out what are the options rather than ramming each other's cars, right? And saying thoughtless, careless words and or distancing ourselves from one another. What are the options in showing brotherly love? We're going to unpack a few of these options and just kind of talk about this morning. And there is a great text. It's a very short text, but it's a great one that we're going to unpack and kind of pull apart and see what it means. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to use it kind of as our base today. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Here's kind of what Paul says here. He says, love one another with brotherly 
affection, brotherly kindness. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing, what's the word there? Honor. In showing each other honor. So the first two things that come to mind in this, this verse here is there's a command right away. We're commanded, love one another with brotherly affection. And then the second one, the second thought there in that verse is you got to outdo each other in honor. So what's interesting to note is that these commands right here, they're actually addressed to the church. This, this is addressed to you, K2. It's addressed to the church. The, the one another in this verse, love one another. It, this, this verse is not for everybody. It is very specific. It means fellow believers in the church body. It doesn't mean that you can't have affection for somebody that, that is outside of the church or outside the body of Christ. No, you, you surely can. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't honor people outside the church. No, no, that'd be ridiculous. You totally should. But what it's saying here in Romans chapter 12, 10, is that the focus is on this verse within the body of Christ. And the command is there because God knew we would struggle with it. So let's read it. K2, love one another in brotherly kindness. K2, you need to be outdoing one another in showing honor. So we're going we're gonna to take this text and kind of unpack it. And we're going to unpack it by asking three questions. First, what is this? What, what are we talking about here? The second thing we're going to ask is, is why? Why is this command important? And the third thing that we're going to hit really quickly is how? How do we actually start to tangibly experience this? How can I start to tangibly show affection and grow in my affection for people at K2 or grow in my affection for people that are different or grow in, in honor? How can that take root in my life so that we can follow this command so that K2 would be a place, and I actually really believe it is, a place where affection is growing, a place where honor is shown? How do we do that? So we're going to start with the what question first. In Romans 12.10, what is the affection? What is the honor that Paul is talking about here? He starts off by saying, love one another in brotherly affection. That word love there, there's lots of different words for love. But this particular word that's translated here is philotorgos, uh, philotorgos. And really what this word means is it's the type of love that's this comfortable kind of at-home love. Like maybe if you're wearing your favorite sweater, you're like, oh, I really love this sweater. Or you're hanging out with your 13-year-old dog and you're like, I love that dog. Or you're in your chair that you've sat in for decades and you're like, what a great chair, right? It's a really comfortable, familiar love. And when it's translated into relationship, it's the type of love that you have in a relationship, maybe with somebody where there's not the slightest thought of self-conscious feeling with somebody. Do you know? Do you have that friend in your life where you can actually kind of hang out and have moments of silence and you're totally cool with it? Do you have that? That's this type of love. That's the type of love we're talking about where, where you're like, oh man, what do I say next? I need like five more questions. It's not... That's not even an issue. This type of love that Paul is talking about here is familiar. It's familiar. Love one another. One another being the church. Love being this com comfortable, familiar love. Love one another with brotherly affection, brotherly kindness. Now, the word for brotherly kindness or affection is Philadelphia. That's the word there. Philadelphia. It's this type of love that comes with long familiarity and, and deep bonds. It's kind of the, the type of love that you experience in a family, right? 
So you, you may have squabbles, you may get mad at each other with, or whatever, but if someone's picking on your brother, look out, right? Because you have this deep uh, family bond. You, you, you've got this, this familiarity with each other. Or if there's a family member who gets ill, or if somebody passes away in your family, the tears are different, aren't they, when it's your family? The tears are different most times. It's that type of love. It's a deep, deep relationship with one another. It's kind of like, man, Beth and I were talking about this yesterday. And she said, you know what this is? It's almost like two vines when they grow up and they intertwine into one another and they become one. If you go to our house, we have vines growing on the front of our house. And, and, and they look like they're just one bush, but they're actually five different vines that have grown up. But you can't pull them apart. You can't separate them. It's just familiarity. It's just family. It's one unit almost. That's the type of experience that Paul is talking about here. He says, K2, that's what you guys need to experience. That's the body of Christ. That's how he designed it to be. So, so in your head, though... <laughs> Because I read this passage and I'm like, wow, I don't know if I could do that. How do you do that? How, how do you experience that? You might be thinking, there are too many weirdos here at K2 to experience that, right? There are too many oddballs or goofballs or people that are different or misfits or whatever it might be that you might say in your head, how do I experience that? And while that might be true, while that might be true, we can't get around the fact that this is a command that God's given us. We gotta love one another. We have to experience this brotherly kindness. Not just a, hey, how's it going? Or, hi, look, I'm smiling at you. Hi, maybe even on the inside, I'm smiling at you. It's not just that kindness. It's a deep, familiar, family type of brotherly kindness that's intertwined, this love that we share together. And since when, uh, man, I was thinking about this last night, since when are the commands of God supposed to be doable in our own strength? Never. Never. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is, impossible, is possible. Wow, I better clean that up. Everything is possible with God. So the deal is, when I get a command from God... It's not like God is giving these commands and like, good luck with that one. <laughs> Let me know how that works out, right? Like, I'm just trying to see if you can actually even do it. I don't, I don't even know if you can, right? It, it's not like God gives these commands and says, way to go. Give it a shot. He's saying, I'm going to give you these commands, and then I'm going to back it up. I'm going to help you flesh this out in your life so that you can experience and have this type of love in the church body with one another. And so Paul says, Loving one another. Love it. Do it with brotherly kindness. Now, the second part of that verse, throw it up there again. We've talked about the first half. The second part of this verse is really cool, and I like how it says it here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that cool? Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, it's interesting to know that honor is actually different from showing affection or kindness to one another. Honor is, is completely different. Because, see, you can honor somebody that you don't have any affection for, can't you? Right? That, that, that cop that pulls you over, right? <laughs> I don't really know you, but I am going to show you honor right now, right? I'm going to show you respect. I'm going I'm I'm to you know, honor and respect you. But here's the interesting thing. Paul is not saying, choose one or the other. Either have kindness or do honor. 
You know, choose one of the, if you don't really like the person, then just show honor, right? If you can't show honor, just have affection. He's not saying that. It's not picking and choosing. He says, do both. You got to do both these things within the church body. Love each other with kindness. Honor one another. And they are different. Honoring is, is treating somebody with, with uh, respect through your words or your deeds. And here's the catch. Even though they may not be worthy of it. Treating somebody with honor and respect, even though, even though they may not deserve it. Here's an example that that, that Paul uses uh, of what this honor looks like. He was talking to Christian slaves when he wrote this, and uh, in First Timothy chapter one verse six says this: "Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy." of all honor. These masters here, they were horrible. They were just really undeserving people. But Paul is saying, you need to, you need to honor them. Regard them worthy of your honor. Count them worthy. In other words, th- this doesn't mean that you, you don't see their glaring faults, right? It doesn't mean that you just kind of ignore that, but it means that you act and speak with honor. You bring them respect. Paul touched on this even later. Here's another example. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 23, he talks about this. Now, now, this time, he actually talks about it within the church. He says this, all the parts of the body that we think, and, and, and let me start that again, and the parts of the body we think are less deserving are the parts to which we give the most, there it is, honor. Here's what, where he says, in the church body, when, when we are doing this together, we need to show honor to one another, and it doesn't matter if the person is honorable or not. We continue to show honor. So look back at Romans 12.10 here. Sorry, we're jumping around a little bit, but look at your screen here. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What does it mean to actually outdo one another? Is showing honor. Do you, do you kind of read that phrase and you go, game on? Yeah, like I'm going to outdo you. Try to keep up, suck up, right? And you're going to outdo one another in showing honor. I sort of like that. It's a good thing I didn't like write the translation of the Bible. Andy's street translation. What up, yo? Right? But that's kind of what I read in there. I think it boils down to this. Here's a better, here's a better way to say it. I think it boils down to preferring to honor rather than be honored. Does that... Does that sink? Like that, that works for me. That, that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to honor someone else more than I love to get honor. I'm, I'm going for it. I'm elevating other people to honor and respect rather than just enjoying it for myself, right? Rather than just trying to get honor for me. I'm going after you. I'm going to honor you, elevate you, lift you up. So all the energy in this sentence is going to other people that need to be honored, so I, really what this is, is, I'm putting to death my craving to be honored. Don't you love to be honored? Yeah, the, f- the flesh loves that. I love it when people are like, you're the man, or man, way to go. Or, uh, those things feel really good. But I put that to death and I go, no, no, no. You know what actually would feel better? Me honoring you. Like I'm going for it. I'm going to tell you your worth. I'm going to respect you. What a great picture. Isn't that a great picture there? Let's read it again. K2. Outdo one another in showing honor for each other. Go for it. That's my goal. Here's a little bit of a pitfall, though. (laughs) 
And this is just human nature. The pitfall is this, that I've got to be aware, you and I got to be aware of, of only honoring one kind of person. Only honoring one kind of person. You know, it's really interesting. There was a study done that, that you are most likely to hang out with the people that you hung out, now as an adult, that you hung out with in high school. Isn't that interesting? So you think back to grade school, and you think to the people you were attracted to, you know, uh, or, 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 or the groups of people that you hung out with are most likely the groups of people that you are the most comfortable with now. It's easy to show honor to people that are kind of like you. It's easy to show honor to the, the, the relationships that are easy, right? But there's caution here. Don't, don't only honor one type of person. So whether it be uh, one type of, of race or one sort of educational level or one kind of sex or, or one kind of way of dressing or one kind of body type or one kind of whatever or one kind of personality, blah, 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 fill in the blank, you and I are to honor everyone in the church, even if it's outside your comfort zone. Everyone is to be loved. Everyone is to be the, the focus of your affection. Everyone is to be honored and respected. And God gets pretty angry. <laughs> God gets really angry when we, when we, uh, uh, when we seek to, 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 to only honor one kind of person. Look at this in uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It kind of shows this fail, failure to honor and displeases the Lord. Here it is in chapter, uh, verse 1 of, of 6. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you favor some people more than others. Uh-oh, I feel, I feel something coming on here. <laughs> how can you, right? How can you say that you are walking with Jesus if you don't honor everybody? Verse 2, look at this. For instance, uh-oh, here it comes. Suppose somebody comes into your meeting or your church dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and, and another one comes in who is poor and dressed in shabby clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, hey, you can just sit over there or else sit, sit on the floor. Well, doesn't that discrimination show that you are guided by the wrong motives? Selective honoring is what that is. Selective honoring. That's not brotherly kindness. That's just being selective in your honor. Bottom line, K2, because this passage is for us. K2, you are called to love each other as family. You're called to love each other as family. You are called to outdo one another in showing your honor for one another. In other words, I prefer to give you honor more than, than I want to receive it. I'm going to honor and respect you. And I'm going to beware of doing it and discriminating, doing it with partiality. That's the what that Paul is talking about here. That's what we're called to do. Let's quickly just visit the why. Why is this important? Why, why, why is this passage even in here? Why, why a call to brotherly kindness? There's three major reasons that the scripture points out why this is an important topic that we get into our church body. This, this is one that we totally put our roots down into. The first reason is because if brotherly kindness is, is apparent at K2, then it's evidence that Christ is in you, right? Go back to the wheels for a second. If I'm engaging with God, I'm in his life, then it's evidence that Christ is in me. I engage with him, he engages with my life. If I'm showing brotherly kindness and really legitimately doing it, I'm showing you honor, I'm going after you and showing you love, then it's evidence that Christ is in me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. 
kind of paints it this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. That's first the qualifier that if you and I are connected to God, if we're engaged with him, knowing him, then you and I, we belong to him. Here's the second part of the verse. And everyone who loves the father, look at this, loves his children too. Isn't that great? Loves his children too. In other words, when you and I fall in love with, with our dad, with our father, when we connect our life to him, then, it's, then I'm going to be compelled to fall in love with his children. Why? Why does the, the, the economy of God work that way? Because when I stand back and I start to reflect on the affection that God has showed me, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That, 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 so immense, I'm so immensely honored by God. I'm so immensely respected by Him. I, I, I have unspeakable grace. How about you? Unspeakable grace? Unspeakable love from the Father? And when I have tasted that, have you tasted that? When I taste that grace and that love, what it does is compels me to want to love people. But here's the problem. If I'm not loving people, have I really tasted it? Because when I really start to taste it and it takes root in my life, it compels me to love who the Father loves with kindness and affection and showing honor. And it literally shows that Christ is present in my life. Another way to say it is this, to kind of sum up this point. Affection for God brings affection for his family, for his children. You know, it would be like my mom saying to me, Andy, you are a great son. You are a fantastic son. But I'm just, I really just don't really love your wife. Can you imagine? By the way, totally false, right? She's moving here in eight weeks. Don't be like, oh, you're the lady that doesn't love Beth. That's not true. I'm making this up, right? The opposite actually happens. The phone will ring. My dad will be like, hello, son. I'm like, hi, dad. He's like, hey, is your wife there? Yeah. You know, they love my wife. They're totally crazy about her. I think one of the things that started that love relationship for them is they saw how much I loved Beth. And because they love me, because they're in relationship with me, they love my wife. But something would be wrong if they're like, Andy, you're totally good, but your wife, we're not into her at all. What happens to my relationship with my parents? (laughs) We got an issue. We got a major issue. Because part of loving me and being involved in my life is loving who I love. Now, she may not, they may not like everything that Beth does. They may not like everything my kids do. But they love my family. They show honor to who I love. When I have affection from the Father, when I'm in relationship with the Father, with God, I show affection to his children. I love who he loves. It's evidence of Christ in my life. Here's the second thing. Why? Why brotherly kindness? Well, the first is we're commanded to, and and it shows evidence that Christ is in us. And here's the second thing. Because brotherly kindness, when you and I actually do this together, it strengthens you and it strengthens me, doesn't it? When I'm actually receiving, I'm on the receiving end of your affection and your kindness and your merciful honor. Are Are you kidding me? Nothing's better than that. Nothing is better than that. And it actually starts to confirm that I'm part of God's family. Oh, I mean, we do this with our kids all the time. Don't you do this with your kids? You're loving on them and you're pouring into them. And like, oh, you are so great. You're, look at what you're doing. That's fantastic. We do that with our kids. And what happens to them? They go, 
Yes, I am, and I'm a part of this family, and it strengthens them. The same happens for you and for me. When we experience this brotherly kindness together, you are actually, this is wild, you are actually helping me grow in my relationship to God. Did, Did you know that happens just by showing kindness to somebody? That when you and I experience that, you're helping me, and I'm helping you grow in our relationship with God. So think about it this way. Here it is, the creator of the universe, God himself, uses you and uses me to bring value and care and compassion and concern and respect and honor to one another. In other words, we are the delivery system. We're the mechanism for delivering God's love to one another. And you never will know how much sometimes your impact of just words of kindness actually change people's lives. All right, let's, let's play a little game here. Raise your hand if you've got more than 500 emails in your inbox right now. Go ahead, be proud. Oh, yeah. Raise your hand if you think the rest of the people with 500 emails are insane. Right? Oh, wow, lots of you. I'm kind of one of those people where I start looking at my inbox after a month. I'm like, wow, how'd that happen? 1,400 emails. I should probably get to that, right? And I go down to that, but there's always, always about, oh, I would guess about 40 emails that will never, ever leave my box. Now, I'm one of those guys who have had my email address for almost like eight years, nine years, you know. I'm really a long time on this email address, and so I keep emails in there, and I probably should get folders and stuff like that, but that just takes way too much time. So there's like 40 emails that will never, ever be deleted from my inbox, and you know what they are? They have flags by them, right? Do you flag them? Which means important, right? And so it has a little flag by it. They all have flags. They are emails from people at K2 or in my life just giving me kindness. It's like my own little file of love, right? And I read through this on a bad day. I'm like, do I matter? Am I important? Let me check my email. And I go and I check it. And I'm like, oh, somebody loves me. Look at that. They said I did a good job, right? Or, they, or, or somebody appreciated something. Do you, okay, anybody? You like that? Do you, do you keep letters? Do you keep stuff from people? You're like, I'm never throwing this away. Because somebody showed me kindness. And what did it do? I feel great. I feel strengthened by that. Strengthened. That's Christ working through us to one another. That's vital. Because what you're doing is you're making a deposit in somebody's heart. Oh, can you see why this is so important to the church? What if we did not have this command here? Oh, just if you get around to it, show each other love. Don't worry about it. You know, it's kind of low on the list. No, it's vital. It's vital. So why do we honor each other? Because it shows that Christ is in me, because it strengthens me. And here's, a, here's a, the third one of the why, before we jump to the how really quick. The third one is this. Because when you and I show kindness to one another, it actually is the way that the world sees God. It's one of the ways that the world starts to fall in love with God is when they see what we are experiencing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you'll see it on the screen here. It says this, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. See, when you and I magnify Christ by loving one another with kindness and affection and outdoing one another and showing honor, the world begins to see the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. 
It almost makes you feel like we could have every billboard in the world saying, God is love. And it wouldn't matter as much as his children loving one another. Like our lives are walking billboards. But here is, here's the rub. There was a book that was published a couple years ago. Two years ago, in fact, by Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman. It's a really difficult book. It's certainly not a fun read. I even hate the fact that it's published because it's called Unchristian. And what they did was they, they did a study, and, and really the, the, this book is the result of that study, to see what outsiders to the church, what, what people who, who are not normally in the church think about Christ followers. And they went to, to ages 16 through 29, and they looked at just that demographic, and they said, what do you think of followers of Christ? Just throw out some words. And they took all these words and they compiled them, and these were the top ones. Too political, hypocritical, old-fashioned, judgmental, insincere. Ugh, not a fun read. And what was interesting in this study, though, is that they then asked them, where, where did you get this perception? Like, like, help us track down what happened for you to get this perception. Was it from TV? The overwhelming, overwhelming answer was No. No, it was not. Was it from, from media of any sort? No, no, it's not. Anything from movies? Where did this perception come from? The vast majority of people who were part of this survey came back and said the perception that they have is from Christians themselves because they were once in a church and they experienced what they reported here. They didn't run into people that were kind. They didn't run into people that were loving. In fact, in the book, there's, and I just kind of paraphrase, one person commented, I'd be more likely to become a Christian if I knew that other Christians would actually really treat me like Jesus. Why is it important that you and I show love and kindness to one another? Well, one, it's evidence of Christ in me. It's this outgrowth of what Christ is doing in my heart. Second, it strengthens one another. It's vital to, to your growth and my growth that we actually show love for one another, that we are kind, that we are, we are honoring, outdoing one another in our honor. And the one thing here is that it is the way, is the way that the world begins to know the love of God. And for 2,000 years, that's the way that God has communicated his love, not only through his word, but through his children. And it's vital. In other words, I really believe the world is watching us. I believe that Salt Lake City is watching K2. I believe the people in your neighborhoods are watching you. The people at, at your work, they're watching in your schools and in your families and your relationships. They're watching you to see what Jesus really looks like. And when you and I allow Christ to transform our hearts and our minds our expressions for one another, they will change. They will change. When I'm abiding in him and him in me, the result is a love for one another that starts to influence our society and draw people closer to the God that has changed our lives. All that from just practicing brotherly kindness.
That's the why. That's the what. Why do we have it? Why, what, what are we supposed to do? Here's the, here's the last one that I've got to end on this and just hit really briefly. How? How do you and I tackle brotherly kindness? How does that actually become part of the DNA of K2? How does that become the DNA of churches that we would actually practice this and, and, and be this sort of church? You know, I, I guess we could do a lot of different things. Like, we, you know, we could, we could do Oprah's random acts of kindness, right? Are you familiar with that? We could just go out and do those sort of things, and certainly they're not bad. But, but we, we can maybe even do the pay it forward concept, right? And just kind of, you know, do one good thing, and, and it gets passed forward. And all of those things are great. But that's not the type of kindness that Paul and, and Peter are talking about in these passages here. That's not what they're talking about when they, they say brotherly kindness. What they're saying, the challenge that they're laying out there is brotherly kindness really is a depth of character within you. It's this depth of character that when you have Christ inside of you, that you begin to ooze out of your pores love for your brothers and your sisters. Why? Because you have to? No. Because somebody's watching? No. Because I'm compelled. Because I'm connected to Father, the Father. And I think that's really the key, that when I'm walking with Jesus, I begin to love the people he loves. You hear us say of this at K2 from time to time. We say two things. The most important things you could do is love God and fill in the blank. Love what? Red box? White box was louder because I couldn't hear your red box. But love people. You love God and you love people. When I start to fall in love with him, it starts to ooze out of my body. And I start to serve one another and I start to love people. That's how affection and brotherly kindness starts to take root in my life. Practically speaking, though, it plays out like this. If you want to develop this kindness and this love and this honor in your life, you and I have got to start preaching to ourselves that the other believers, the other followers of Christ here at K2, no matter how imperfect they may be, are children of God. Sometimes when Bailey and Addie fight, <laughs> one of the first things I tell them, I'm saying, I, I, I go and I sit them down, I go, look at your sister. This is your sister. And they look at each other. And their faces change a little bit. She's going to be with you for the rest of your life. And they go, oh, you know. <laughs> and within moments, they're hugging. There's something about knowing that we are a part of a family. That we are connected to one another. That's the love. That's the Philadelphia. The, 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 the brotherly kindness. As I remind myself that Christ shed his blood for the people in my family. That the people in my family are forgiven for the things that make me upset. The things that, that start to tick me off. And that people are going to have bad attitudes. That they're going to be uh, immature and even annoying. And I know. But they are covered by the blood of Christ. And the same forgiveness that I have received from God has been extended to the people that are in my family. And when I'm not treating people with love and respect... I'm not treating them as God treats them. You want to grow love and respect in your life? and You want to grow honor and brotherly kindness in your life? We need to start changing our vision and look around K2 and look around churches and go, wow, man. We're going to be doing this for a long time together. When I read my Bible, it says for eternity, you are part of my family. Here's the second way that brotherly kindness starts to take root in our life is I start looking for evidences of grace 
in people's flawed life. Does that make sense? I start looking for grace in people's life. And here's here's reality, is that every follower of Christ has evidences of grace in their life. I know that because God is at work in every follower of Christ, in their life. And so I don't dishonor the work of God by only complaining about the things that I see where people are messing up. Aren't we great at being able to identify where people are messing up? Oh, yeah, hey, let me just go down the list. Here's some for you, and here's a few for you, and I'm only let me get started with my spouse, right? We're really good at picking out the stuff where people have dropped the ball in their character. And be honest, we're great at it. But part of grace is identifying the places where God is at work in people's lives and celebrating where they're growing and where God is working. Okay, listen, here's a really hardcore application for brotherly kindness and love and honor is to actually look at those people where you think might be dishonorable or look at those people that might kind of rub you wrong or look at those people that you may not be super comfortable with in the church and start making a great list of the things where you see God working in their life. Where the blood of Christ has covered them. And then this is really, really out there. I dare you to then tell them. You know what I see in your life? Do you know what I see God doing in you? Dude, listen to this. You have Jesus in you. You. You have been growing in Christ. This is what I see. And it turns into brotherly kindness and turns into honor and it turns into love. Just one tangible way that I can start showing kindness, even here at K2. Here's the last one as we end on this. In fact, band, why don't you guys come up, get ready to lease into worship as we finish up here. The last tangible way that we can start growing in our kindness to one another, and I think this is actually the biggest one, this will be the hardest one for, for I'm going to guess, most people here, is that we need to remember that we've been recipients of God's grace. <laughs> because the reality is this. No one in this room, no one in the white box, <laughs> no one in the red box, deserves the divine affection in the divine honor that God has given us. And when I engage with God, and when I track along and He's in my life and I'm in His life, He has given me both of those things through Jesus Christ. And when I realize I don't even deserve the the affection and honor of God, and yet He's given it to me, when when I see that, That humbles me. So don't ever forget the undeserving position that we're in, the undeserving love that we receive from God, because it's that very notion right there, it's that very idea that will start to be the seed of true brotherly kindness. That when I wake up and I start to realize, How precious God's mercy is to me personally. My gratitude for what he has done in my life starts to spill over into other people's lives. And when you look at it, all of us are undeserving. In fact, we didn't read this verse, but we've been in Romans 12, 10, right? 
shall love, brotherly kindness, outdo one another in honor. Do you know how Romans chapter 12 starts if you were to kind of roll it back to verse 1? I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Paul says, in light of God's mercy. Ten verses later, show love. (laughs) Because by the mercy of God, we begin to show honor. By the mercy of God, I show you Philadelphia. By the mercy of God, people begin to look at the body of Christ and see a tremendous father. Would you just imagine with me for a second, though? (laughs) Imagine if to the nth degree that was true here at KTU. And I, I I need to just say really quickly, I see this everywhere at KTU. In fact, I hear it all the time. People talk about the kindness that they feel here, the spirit of brotherly love. But imagine, imagine if we ramp this up The K2 wouldn't just be known as like a cool church or a great place to hang out or good for their arts or good for this or blah, 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 or fill in the blank. That we would be known in Salt Lake City as a place where you go to get loved on. That people would say, you know what? When I run into somebody from K2, I've run into Jesus. That's what I've experienced. Let's pray. Jesus, I feel compelled right now to just give you thanks. That's kind of where my heart goes first, God, is just a great wellingness of, welling up of gratitude. Because you have loved us. You first loved. You first showed us your, your, your grand affection. You first showed us grace. You have loved and heaped it upon us. Oh, you have redeemed us. You've shed your blood. You've reconciled us into relationship with the Father. God, I pray that that would be the compelling nature, that when we, when we look at that love, that it would compel us to add brotherly kindness, that we would take that and add it to our faith so that we would have everything that we need and so that others would have everything that they need. Lord, would you convict us too that where that's not true in our relationships and in our lives, would you convict us through your Holy Spirit that you would correct the rudder? God, I'm even thinking, you know, one person just popped in my mind right now that I need to go. Somebody I haven't shown kindness to. God, would you give us boldness and strength to those that are different than us, to those that... Oh, are not like us at all, to those that make us uncomfortable, to those that we even think are maybe dishonorable. God, give us the strength to love. Oh, that the world would see through our lives here, specifically even at this church, that you are alive and you are active and that you are God. And all the glory would be yours. And Lord, it's with that that we worship you. Oh, because you've done it first. You have done it first. You are worthy of all praise and honor. And we pray in the great name of Jesus Christ.